I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, are you on speakerphone or are you on regular phone? I'm on regular phone. Is that side in? I'm Nate Hedgie, and this is my friend, Felicia Cecilio. Hold on, let me stop boiling the water. Felicia lives in Fairbanks, Alaska, but a few months ago, she was visiting my wife and I in Montana. We were on a run. I don't know how we started talking about it, um, but I think, I don't know, we were thinking about death. Death. Specifically, burials, cremation, and... You are talking about ashes being spread... And I was like, well, there's also the option to be composted. Yeah, you heard that right. Human composting. Felicia guessed that composting a body has to be better than burning it and sending CO2 into the atmosphere. You know, there's minerals in your body that could potentially be useful for the ecosystem, but I don't really know. So what's better for the environment and our planet's soil? Cremation? Burial? Human composting? I didn't know the answer... But I knew exactly who to call. Hello, Nate Hedgie. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Producer Felix Poon. You're like our resident Deathbeat reporter, right? Like, how many episodes have you done about death now? I think I have to count, right? So there was a, there's a decomposing squirrel story. There was the body farm story. The psilocybin story. Felix has kind of become our expert on all things afterlife. So I explained Felicia's question. Like, what's the best way to get rid of our bodies? Think he can do this? Think he can handle this assignment? Oh, can I handle it? I was, I was born to handle it. <laughs> 
today we've got another edition of This, That, or the Other Thing. When we talk about building a sustainable world, we talk a lot about the trash we leave behind. And not to be crass, but at some point, we will all have to leave behind these flesh coats that we call bodies. So what do we do with them? Casket? Cremation? Compost? And do our bodies actually have an impact on the soils and skies around us? Felix is on the job. See what I find out, and, uh, and then I'll come back to you and uh, let you know. Stay tuned. All right, we're back, and I've invited producer Justine Paradise to join us. Hey, Felix Death Poon. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we said I was... Felix Death Detective Poon. Oh, you've got plenty of names. Yeah, you've got all the names. He's known by many names. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to have you all here. Like I said, I've uh, done some reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to say, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, choosing what happens to your body after you die, it's a very personal decision, right? Yes. Like, regardless of what the science says is best for the planet. Yes. That said, what does the science say? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to that, but I'm curious. Like, what what do you think you both want to happen to your bodies after you die? I think I want to be cremated and have my ashes spread at certain spots that are meaningful to me. I'd like to spend my time at this one little bend of the Clark Fork River in Montana. That would be that's that's a good spot. So I do like that idea. I think in the popular consciousness of becoming a tree, mm-hmm. um, like my afterlife, materially, you know, my body dissolves and gets absorbed into other living things. I think that's pretty cool. If you could pick a tree, Felix, what tree would you be? A ginkgo tree. Oh, sure, yeah. Throwback. Specifically, a female ginkgo tree, so I can drop some nuts on people. <laughs> 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 Anyways. Why don't we get a better idea of all the options on the scientific side of what's best for the planet? Um, And to do that, I went to a place just outside of Boston, Mount Auburn Cemetery. I work out of the office, but um, I spend a lot of time out on the grounds uh, doing these tours with families. I talked to Regina Harrison. She's the one loved ones talk to when they've had someone die. Typically, she talks to one family a day. Some days mm-hmm. it's four a day, and that's not really manageable. But, you know, if people have had a death, uh, it is what it is. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with the options people are probably most familiar with. First, conventional casket burial. This is when you embalm the body, put it in a casket, and bury it. And while embalming goes way back, it only became standard practice from the Civil War because they embalmed the bodies of Union soldiers to send them back home for burial. That's fascinating. That's a very practical use of embalming. That is wild, yeah. But let's talk about the environmental downsides to conventional burial. First, the embalming. There's a lot of chemicals involved. They do have a very harmful effect on the funeral directors who work with them. Really? Yeah. What kind of risks? Like health risks? Are they like getting sick from this stuff? So research has found that embalmers are much more likely to get cancer, as well as neurological diseases like ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. God, wow. So that's the human health side. There isn't a ton of research on what those chemicals can do to the soil, but there is some research that shows that they can leach into groundwater. 
But it's not just the body we're burying into the ground. There's the casket, which is typically steel or wood, and a concrete vault, which is like a casket for the casket. I didn't realize that we have a casket for the casket. I think I've, it's been a while since I've been to a funeral, and I always just imagined that we just kind of like dug a hole and then just put the casket in there. Yeah, same. So concrete is like super intensive. Yeah, the reason for this is landscaping, right? Because if you didn't use a concrete vault, like eventually there would be these little depressions in the soil. And so like- Because of the way that the soil had settled down, yeah. Yeah, because the casket and the body will eventually break down and decompose. Yeah, you don't really think about stuff like that when you're walking through a cemetery. And yeah, like like you said, Justine, just like anything else, making all that stuff, the caskets, the vaults, it takes energy and has a carbon cost. And there's another problem with these concrete vaults. You know, an area of a cemetery that's just full of these concrete liners, um, you know, water can't go anywhere. Which means less water can be absorbed back into the ground. Of course. Because of those lawns we just talked about, there's also all that water we're using and lawn fertilizers, and those can run off and pollute groundwater. All this adds up, and I tried to find some reliable figures on how much of the U.S. is taken up by cemeteries and graveyards. Oh my gosh. And while I couldn't find any studies, a figure that gets repeated is that it's up to about 2 million acres, which is bigger than the state of Delaware. Yikes. Wow. The trouble is that sometimes I think it is associated with like specific religious beliefs, so I don't want to like insult anyone's background or... Um that caveat but yeah land use uh that's a major land use decision yeah totally i do want to mention that um regina kind of rebuffs the idea that cemeteries are a waste of space okay mount auburn cemetery is a mass audubon important bird area and she also mentioned you know like for folks who live in the city it's one of the few green spaces right i just wish it was less lawny yeah a lot of cemeteries are lawny but the nice thing about mount auburn is there's a lot of trees it's actually an accredited arboretum that's really cool Next, I want to move on to talk about cremation. And before I do that, though, I'm like curious, like, what, what are all your hunches about cremation and whether it's, like, any better? My assumption is that it doesn't have that big of a carbon footprint. I think it does. I think it's a lot of natural gas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're burning that way. I, I'm pretty sure that that's how they burn. Well, Felix, why don't you tell us? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Prove me wrong. <laughs> No, but this is something I think people don't really think about. I think they think like, oh, we're getting rid of that toxic embalming. We're not burying all these like metals in wood. And it's maybe for these reasons, actually, cremation is kind of having a moment. Like in 2015, it overtook burial as the most popular option in the U.S. Hmm. Whoa. And by mid-century, the National Funeral Directors Association thinks that eight out of every 10 funerals will be cremations. Wow. Hmm. But... Justine, you are right. Cremation involves some serious, heavy-duty furnaces. They burn natural gas, which is a fossil fuel, Mm -hmm. and temperatures can get up to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, (gasps) which is hotter than molten lava. Wow. It's very hot. That is very hot. I'm just going to say it. They're like chunks of bone and stuff in, in the ashes still, you know? It doesn't even do it all the way. Bodies are resilient. I wonder how long it takes to cremate to cremate a body. 
actually, uh, Regina has an answer to that question. Oh. Our previous equipment took, you know, about six hours for a cremation, and this equipment is under two, so it's a lot, lot faster. <laughs> and that's to, all the way to cool down. Two hours, though. So estimates vary on the amount of fuel used in an average cremation. Some put it at the equivalent of 13 gallons of gas. Some put it at 27 gallons. So about one to two tankfuls. Do they ever put you in a little ship and burn you while sending you over a waterfall, though? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. When I said cremation, I meant that. What's the carbon footprint of that? (laughs) Well, anyways, back to modern cremation. It's not just CO2 going into the air. It's also carcinogenic fumes and particulate matter and even mercury from dental fillings. (gasps) Wow. So this all sounds pretty bad, but just to be fair, there isn't good data showing that living near a crematorium necessarily makes you more likely to have cancer or anything. Okay, so I've, as, as someone who likes to be more sustainably and environmentally minded, I am I am taking back my cream, cremated <laughs> card. No take backs. <laughs> you committed to your afterlife here on this podcast. Yeah. Okay, but let's zoom back out because Nate, your friend Felicia was asking about whether our remains can be useful for the soil. Yeah. Cremation is, at best, a neutral act for the soil. Ashes are inert. They're not organic. So when we're talking about the whole like circle of life idea, it's not actually happening with cremation. In fact, there's some evidence that it might actually be bad for freshwater because ashes contain high levels of phosphorus, which can pollute bodies of water and cause those toxic algae blooms. I thought phosphorus was also good for the soil. It's a limiting nutrient. Uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Like, you need those three things to, to make a plant, for plants to grow. Okay. And so if one of them is not in enough amount, like, the, pl- the plant won't be able to grow. But it's, it is the limiting ingredient, it, limiting nutrient in freshwater systems. So once you, like, pump phosphorus into okay. the water, it's like, bam you know? <laughs> Which is why we have, like, uh, those algae blooms in the Mississippi, because yeah. of all the farming. So that's cremation. With conventional burial, as we talked about already, it's potentially not good for the soil because it can leach embalming chemicals. But there is another version of burial that your friend Felicia might like, and it solves some of those problems we just talked about. It's called green burial. Sounds sustainable. (laughs) Because it has the word green in it. Yeah. Fundamentally, it's the burial of an unembalmed body in a biodegradable container. So that biodegradable container could be as simple as a shroud um, or a plain pine casket. So we're, uh, we're going to walk down Acorn Path here into an okay. area that has a few different types of natural burial graves. Regina took me out onto the grounds of Mount Auburn. We walked in between old gravestones in the historic part of the cemetery looking for green burial plots. So the, you're saying there's two plots here that are side, adjacent? Yeah, they're side by side. So you and unless you know exactly what to look for, you would have no idea there's burial plots here. So really they can kind of triangulate off of other existing monuments. Like if they knew to look for the name on that stone, 
Right. William M.H. Waterfall. Yep. <laughs> um, so if they know, like, they're just to the left of William Waterfall, yeah. then they know they're in the right place. <laughs> yeah. They know their neighbors. They know the neighbors, yeah. So you can't tell on just from looking at it whether it's a green burial or not, but it's got to be doing something better, I imagine, considering the namesake. Yeah, so, you know, you with green burial, you do get rid of most of the carbon emissions. There's no fancy casket, no concrete vault. Plus, you're not exposing people to toxic embalming chemicals. But you do still have the land use and landscaping issue. At Mount Auburn, a green burial plot still takes up space in perpetuity and comes with some of the trappings of cemetery lawn maintenance that we talked about. But there are a growing number of green burial cemeteries that don't have lawns. Instead, they're located in woodlands or meadows, so that problem could be solved in that way. I'm under the impression also that that you can bury yourself, that you can get buried on your property. That's technically true in most states. There are a few that outlaw completely, California, Washington, and Indiana. But everywhere else, there's still rules you have to follow. Like, you've got to be X number of feet away from dwellings and businesses, or you've got to add it to the property deed. Yeah, because if you didn't know, or if like later it came up that there was a body buried there. Yeah, you'd be like, oh my God, I found a body. <laughs> was there right a murder? <laughs> Okay, more green options for human body disposal are coming up in a minute. But before we get into all that, just a reminder that we've only got about a week left for our dollar for dollar match. And remember, it's your donations that keep this podcast alive. If you give $5 per month, we'll send you an outside in baseball hat or $8 a month, you get a pair of some of the coziest wool socks you will ever wear. All right, we'll be right back. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm calling from Westford, Massachusetts. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Love your show. 
Um, I was just listening to your episode on the color blue, which was great. Um, and when you guys got to the color of the sky question, it seemed like you guys got a little confused. You sort of ended the question at uh, the short wavelength and scattering um, and then moved on quickly. So um, I'm a former science teacher, so I thought I'd try to help out getting that extra layer of the physics-y stuff that you were talking about. So yes, you guys were like 80% there when you got to like the short wavelength question and scattering more. Um, but it also has to do with the unique composition of what's in our atmosphere gives us that. So our Earth has a ton of nitrogen and oxygen in the atmosphere, and it looks, you know, so when the light is reflecting off of those molecules, that's like why it's scattering in the way it does. Other planets are going to scatter with different wavelengths because of their different compositions. Like Venus looks sort of yellowish because it has so much more carbon dioxide than we do. Um, so anyway, hope that is helpful. Thanks for an awesome show. Yeah, you guys are great. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, hey, welcome back to Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie here with producer Justine Paradise. Hey, hey. And producer Felix Poon. That's Felix Death Detective Poon to you. <laughs> Sorry, Death Detective Poon is here telling us all about funeral options and what's best for the planet. So, so Felix, you were about to tell us about some new green burial options that don't take up like hardly any space at all. Yeah, well, first I want to say that there are a lot of gimmicks out there that folks should watch out for when they're looking into this. Like, when I told some of our coworkers that I was reporting on this, they were like, oh, like the mushroom suit. So I'm here to explain why I'm wearing these ninja pajamas. So there's this TED Talk where the inventor of this suit says it detoxifies your body from heavy metals and pollutants and speeds up the decomposition process. I'm an artist. So I'd like to offer a modest proposal at the intersection of art, science, and culture. The Infinity Burial Project, an alternative burial system that uses mushrooms to decompose and clean toxins in bodies. When you're referencing Jonathan Swift, I feel like you should do it with more precision. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. But really the first issue with this claim is that the amount of toxins in a human body to begin with are pretty negligible. But I think the most convincing argument to me that the suit is bogus is that the suit uses shiitake and oyster mushroom spores. Any decomposition expert or even mushroom forager will tell you that the fungi involved in breaking down your body are not shiitakes and oysters. <laughs> Those grow on wood. Exactly. Shiitakes and oysters don't grow on rotting flesh. They grow on wood. But anyways, you know, I looked into this myself in the company's website where you could reportedly buy it. It doesn't even exist anymore. So to eulogize the Mushroom Infinity suit, it looks really cool, and it got a lot of people thinking and talking about green burial options. But may it rest in peace. <laughs> Cremate nice. that suit. Let's move on and talk about serious green burial options. So I'm going to share a video with you two and I want you to describe what you're seeing. It's like a wall of, um, that's like a, a, like a beehive latticework, but each cell has a big orb on it. Taylor's son Finn watched this video and he said like they look like big space age laundry machines. <laughs> to explain what these are, let me introduce Katrina Spade. She's the founder and CEO of a Seattle-based company called Recompose which she started after thinking about her own eventual death. I don't 
really want to be cremated because to me it feels a bit wasteful. Something I've got left in my body, you know, could I give that back somehow? So these are human composting vessels. And Katrina says human composting, it's just mimicking what we see on the forest floor when something dies. Whether that's animal life, like a chipmunk, or plant life, like a dead tree. There's microbial and bacterial activity that breaks it down, as long as it's got the right amount of oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen. And what Katrina is doing at Recompose is they're taking all those ingredients and they're putting them into these vessels. For the funeral service, they lay the body inside the vessel on a bed of wood chips, straw, and alfalfa, which provide the carbon and nitrogen. And then they lay more of that material over the body, which is something that loved ones can participate in too. And they can even put flowers or clippings from their own garden if they want, sort of like what you might do at a graveside funeral. That's really nice. So the body's cocooned inside of the vessel. After the ceremony is over, the vessel gets to work. And the ratio of carbon and nitrogen plus the body is the perfect mixture to make enthusiastic microbial activity. (laughs) Enthusiastic (laughs) microbial activity. So then they rotate the vessels about every week. And after about two months, the body's transformed into about a cubic yard of soil which is enough to fill an average truck bed. Wow. Mm. The bones get ground up using what's called a cremulator, and that gets added to the soil. You know, that's great because we have transformed a lot of the planet to be extracting from the soil that has been created over thousands of years, and we should probably be returning those nutrients back to those fields, you know? So there are a, a few different ways people can use the soil. Katrina told me about a sister of somebody who died and was composted, and she came to recompose with a trailer in tow. And our team helped her load that trailer up with her brother's soil. And he had lived in Seattle for much of his life and was an avid gardener. She brought that trailer back to the neighborhood where he had lived, and her, his friends and neighbors brought five-gallon buckets. They all took some of that soil home to their own gardens. And so there's this concept that this person is still gardening with his friends and neighbors, you know, even after he's died. That's so nice. Yeah, the other thing you can choose to happen is have your soil be donated to conservation land, which people point out, like, that can actually be absorbed into the trees. And speaking of carbon emissions, like, you know, be a part of the trees uh, sequestering carbon. Okay, so does anybody want to guess what the downsides of human compost might be? I bet there are some emissions. I bet, I mean, I bet there's like methane and... It does take electricity to run these vessels, so it's only as clean as the grid is. Mm. But researchers that I talked to said that we might want to look at the alfalfa and wood chips that need to be produced and then transported to human composting facilities. Mm. But honestly, there's not a lot of data on this because it's still a pretty new method. Uh, But the biggest problem I can see is the fact that this is currently only available in a few states. So some people are flying in their loved ones from out of state, which is about 30% of Recompose's clients. And that sort of negates a lot of the carbon benefit of doing it in the first place. There is one last green option that I want to talk about, 
which is a new version of cremation, and it's called alkaline hydrolysis, better known as water cremation. So this also involves putting the body in a vessel, but this time it's submerged in a water and potassium hydroxide solution. And it takes about 16 hours, and what you're left with is a sterile liquid, which is just poured down the drain. This is just essentially lye. They put you in lye. Yes, it is actually water and lye. And then after the body's dissolved, the bones are ground with a cremulator into a white-colored dust, which are the ashes. And, you know, this is also a pretty new option, so there's not a ton of data. But, of course, this also requires electricity to run the vessels as well. It feels pretty minor, though. Like, we're getting pretty nitpicky about the different little tiny bits of carbon footprint that's happening with this. Like, I am curious, like, does this even matter? You know, comparing all these different methods... Uh, we are kind of splitting hairs here because even if you don't go green and let's say you went with like traditional burial or cremation, like whatever the most uh, carbon intensive process is, it's still just a tiny fraction of a percentage of the impact on the planet you have when you're alive. Mm. Like just to put cremation into perspective, I mentioned it's the equivalent of about one or two tanks of gas to cremate a body. Mm -hmm. I mean, most Americans use double that amount every month just driving around. I was thinking it's like if you get a piece of pottery, a kiln has been roaring for a few hours. That's like the same thing. (laughs) It totally is. (laughs) You're right. For hours. To me, that means like it matters less what you do with your death than what you do with your life. That's a great point. That's a really good takeaway. I guess that's what makes these segments complicated. Like, it's easy to get preoccupied with these problems of what's worse for the environment, this or that, cloth diapers or disposables, real Christmas trees or fake plastic ones. But those questions are kind of an anxious, negative way of looking at the world. Like, no matter what I do, it's bad. So what's less bad? Right. So I did talk to one more person to steer us away from death and talk a little bit more about what we can do for the planet while we're still alive. I very often share the the story of my dad and his passing as an example of what motivates me so others could see that there are deeply personal things that could motivate you to make an impact when it comes to climate. So this is Matt Scott. Matt doesn't really think of himself as a climate guy or environmentalist. The number one issue he's always cared about is racial justice. That's because his dad grew up in the civil rights era as a black man. And then Matt learned about this nonprofit initiative called Project Drawdown, which is where he works now. When I learned about Project Drawdown, what it really showed me is that I could apply my own interest in storytelling and my own interest in justice, uh, my interest in supporting and amplifying underrepresented communities to this climate issue. You all have heard of Project Drawdown, right? Yeah. It was one of the first really solutions focused, okay, like what would we do though? And not just we are against climate change, but it was presenting ideas. Yeah. If you look at their website, you'll see they've got all these different climate solutions listed by category or by ways you can help. Drawdown Solutions Library. Alternative cement. Bicycle infrastructure. I see nuclear power. Nuclear power. Nuclear power. (laughs) It's a political statement to pronounce it (laughs) nuclear. (laughs) 
So one way to look at this is to say that burial, for example, it's a land use issue. Mm -hmm. So on Project Drawdown, you can see that a lot of the land use solutions have a lot more to do with agricultural practices than they do with cemeteries. So for example, we could say, let's eat less meat. But that's still a negative framing. Like, it should be less about restraining yourself from eating meat and more about getting into vegetables because they taste good. Learning about vegan food, I don't, I don't ever think of it as vegan. It's just like learning how to use a specific kind of vegetable. It's like exciting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I want to push this even more towards systemic things. Like get to know your local farmers and ask them if they're doing any of these land use solutions, which I've actually done myself with the farm share community supported agriculture programs around me. Hmm. Or like Justine, you mentioned bicycle infrastructure is one of the project drawdown solutions which I would say is a land use issue. Mm. I've been getting involved with local organizations working with my city on getting more bike infrastructure, and it's been pretty satisfying. And, you know, these are just a couple examples, but if you're not sure which of the hundreds of ways that you could enter this that you want to get involved in, Matt has a suggestion for figuring that out. So there's this concept called Ikigai. Ikigai is a Japanese concept for that which gives your life meaning and purpose. Marine biologist Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson popularized a climate version of this called the Climate Action Venn Diagram. Basically, you draw three big circles that overlap in the middle. One circle is what you're good at. The next is what gives you joy. And the third is what needs doing. And it's a way to find the places where your passion overlaps with your talents and apply them to climate solutions that make sense for you. It's nice to know that none of us are doing it alone. And each and every day, at least, I'm reminded that there are so many other people who I'm standing alongside who are making a meaningful impact in this work. So at the end of the day, I'm not saying you shouldn't care about your death. <laughs> you should, but maybe not for the reasons we initially went into this. Fight the real enemy. Maybe we can definitely say don't have your ashes shot into space. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can say that. Yeah. I mean, that's a little hubristic, to be honest. So, you know, in this vein, we are curious to know from our audience, how do you want to live We'll put more info about climate Venn diagrams in the show notes. And if you do do one, you know, take a picture and send it to us. Uh, we might share them in our newsletter and on social media. You can email us at outsidein at nhpr.org. Or if you post yours to social media, you can tag us. We're at Outside In Radio. And I should say, okay, we are also curious about how you want to die. Uh, as in what you want to happen to your body afterwards. You know, not literally how you want to die. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I have my idea, but it's pretty yeah. it's pretty wild. And again, our email is outsidein at nhpr.org, and you can find us on our socials at Outside In Radio. This episode was reported and produced by Felix Poon. It was edited by Taylor Quimby. I'm your host, Nate Hedgie. Our team also includes Justine Paradise. <laughs> that was a great laugh. <laughs> Rebecca Lavoy is our executive producer. Special thanks to Ruth Fass, who makes green burial caskets in the Boston area. You can find pictures of them on our website at outsideinradio.org. And to Troy Hoddle for explaining life cycle analysis studies comparing different burial methods. The music you heard in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions as well as Rocket Jr. Outside In is a production of NHPR. NHPR.
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.